Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the senior wealth advisor and the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is directly across from Winkies. We have the pleasure, and I have the pleasure right now, of course, of serving our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. I know that it is very cold in Wisconsin right now. So um, that's really a, a gift. My guest today is Jim DeYoung, and he is an attorney with O'Neill, Cannon, DeYoung, and Lang. And we are going to be talking about what's happening in the market. We've been going through some really crazy times with um, COVID and now a resurgence of COVID, but has it really had an impact? And what is the impact that it's had on um, businesses within the city of Milwaukee? So welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Karen. You know, Jim, we kind of in many ways, we live in our own little world. We live, you know, we live in our neighborhood and we go to our, our jobs. but we drive by all of these companies that make the world go round and we really don't understand what's going on with businesses in the city. We get so focused on just managing our own lives. And I thought that this would be a really great way of giving people an idea. First of all, if they are business owners, small business owners, or if they're working for ones, you know, what's happening in this market? It's been a pretty strange two years. Um, when this all started in March of 2020, there was so much uncertainty. You know, our clients and our business also, we were all wondering, were we going to be considered to be essential businesses or were we going to be uh, forced to close down for a period? So uh, for that first period of a few months, it was very uncertain. People were uh, looking at what their projections were for 2020 and trying to figure out how this was going to shake out. Were they going to be able to survive this? And then people started and businesses started to get their, their footings. And, um, you know, certainly the PPP loans uh, did help businesses. And um, there was a, a lot of rebound that started later in 2020 it's, as people started to get used to I suppose you would call it the, the new normal. And in the early part or first half of 2020, we did not see much activity in the M&A merger and acquisition market. I think primarily because uh, there was so much uncertainty. There were deals that were pending that uh, it was very difficult to figure out what steps to take because this was all so unprecedented. Uh, what we saw, though, in 2021 was really a strong rebound. Uh, we saw, in general, with our clients, uh, very strong uh, demand picking up, even clients that were in the businesses such as manufacturing commercial food service equipment, which, as you might imagine, in 2020 was really, really down because of the fact that there was so much uncertainty and things were shut down. 
Well, we saw that really pick up um, and the merger and acquisition activity in 2021 was very strong. Uh, the price is being paid for uh, businesses in 2021 uh, were high and were higher than they had been in uh, recent years. Probably the most common issues that we've heard from our clients during this time are twofold. Number one, being able to find and keep workers. If you drive down 41 or 43 or 94, you'd see, we all see billboards saying, you know, help wanted, $2,000 sign-on bonus, blah, 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 you know, hourly rates way above the, uh, what the uh, minimum wage is. The minimum wage really is pretty meaningless right now because <laughs> of the demand to get workers. And then the second thing that we've seen happen a lot with our clients are these supply chain issues where um, they cannot get uh, in addition, not getting workers, but can't get parts or can't get uh, components that they need for the things that they make. So those two challenges have been uh, the biggest lingering after effect. And I don't know exactly how the shortage of workers ties to COVID. I know there's this thought about the grace resignation or too many uh, federal government benefits or whatever, but uh, those two things are really really critical and as of right now are both both still ongoing what is the impact of those um, hurdles that they have to cross when they're starting to to think about should they sell their business or not and who are the people that are thinking that so in my mind i go to there's somebody who's been in business for 30 or 40 years they say i don't ever want to go through this again <laughs> you right. know I've, right. I've had it i've had it mm -hmm. it's too much stress but then there are other people who are looking at merging and buying up these businesses. So what is the effect of all this having? Well, I think it's uh, being quick on your feet and thinking through <laughs> this and thinking through ways to uh, mitigate however, however possible. We've seen clients do it uh, in a number of ways. One thing certainly has been more flexible with uh, uh, remote working. Now with manufacturing clients, that obviously is not possible, but with other businesses, we've seen much more flexibility with that. I think that um, both producers and customers are starting to get used to and understand the supply chain issue uh, is something that's going to stay with them for a while. So I think it's really a, simply a matter of keeping the eye on the ball uh, people recognize that these issues are there, but uh, keeping the focus on the business and managing the business and uh, doing the best within those, uh, the parameters that we're all forced to deal with right now. I think that from my perspective, you know, when I looked at restaurants and service industries, I mean, it's really frightening. And just the idea of always having in the back of your mind, this could happen again. I mean, what are the types of things that you're helping your clients look at to manage and maybe mitigate out of the equation for businesses? Um, and I would guess that for people recognizing the importance of that relationship of having that um, attorney or that person mm -hmm. in the background that's giving you the insight into how to, how to prepare yourself um, and your business for eventually most businesses will be sold, I'm guessing, or passed down to family. You know, uh, 
there's not a lot we can do on the supply chain end of things because that is a issue that goes way beyond uh, the the uh, boundaries of the state of Wisconsin. But you know, on the on the worker shortage thing, I think one thing that has really changed is um, employee employers are recognizing now that it's much more important to provide a very positive workplace and to um, to take that into account when they're establishing what they're what they pay and what their benefits are. Uh, I was just talking with a client last week that has some um, assisted living facilities, and he, he was talking about the difficulty of planning because all of their planning had been at, I don't remember exactly the number, but let's say $12 an hour. And now in order to obtain employees, it was uh, it's $15 an hour. So I think the importance of focusing on uh, the employees and providing a positive workforce and having uh, procedures and policies in place at your at your uh, workplace that encourage a positive cult, uh, po positive culture. It's just it's much more a seller's market from the employee's perspective right now, and so it's it's not you know we'll put an ad out there and we'll get fifteen applicants. It's just not like that any anymore. So I think focusing on the the culture, the type of work environment you have, and being real, realistic about what it's going to take in order to hire and keep good employees. I think also one of the things is employees are asking for transparency. Right. I agree. You know, they they want to be included in the conversation. They want to know what's going on. And in many cases, that's sort of different because you kind of owners, I know myself, you kind of keep that to yourself and you, you know, you don't share right. some of that information. But I think employees now, they want to know what's going on and um, so that whole idea of transparency, I think, has become a very big issue in business. That's a good point. And we have clients that are, do a very good job with that. They uh, meet regularly with their employees. They don't share the same amount of information they do with senior management, but they keep them in the loop about what's happening, about what the challenges are, about where the business stands. And I think that that is an important part of, of getting buy-in from the employees as to the the business and the mission of the business. And I think it's certainly a factor that helps create a positive culture. Jim, let's take a quick break. And I know in the second segment, we want to talk a little bit about selling the business and the timing of the business. But I have a, a question that I'm just curious about. You know, so many businesses like my own, I'm looking at passing my business down. My daughter's running it right now and Taylor works at the at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And so I'm looking at generational, hopefully, of, of keeping this business. But I'm wondering how many business owners who have the same thought that I do have now gone through this pandemic, have gone through things that we've never had to deal with before. And they're thinking to themselves, maybe I won't pass it down. Maybe I should sell it. And take my cash and maybe do something else or help my kids. So when we come back, if we could look at some of those challenges that sure. business owners are facing, that would be great. With that, okay. we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung, and he is with O'Neill 
Pullman, DeYoung, Cannon, DeYoung, and uh, <laughs> Lang. And I've, I've known that firm for many, 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 many years. Actually, I think probably I knew Dennis Holman when we both lived in Mequon. So it goes, we have a long history with that wonderful firm. And if you should have any questions, if you're a business owner and you have questions for Jim, please feel free to give him a call at 414-291-4731. And, you know, Jim, this whole idea of, as a business owner, you maybe have family in the business and maybe not, but you've got this dream, you know, that you're going to build this, this beautiful business and be able to pass it on to your children or grandchildren. But yet when you go through some of the things that many businesses could never have anticipated, particularly restaurants and service industries and um, some of those, you almost might take a step back and say, do I want to pass this on to my kids? Should I sell it? And are people having those types of thoughts right now? And how are you helping people navigate the whole concept of should I sell? When should I sell? Um, how is that? How is that working for you? You know, that's an interesting question. We we've seen in the multi generational families a couple of uh, variations on that. First of all, we've seen uh, owners that really want to pass the business on to the next generation, but without a clear right evaluation of the ability of the next generation to run the business. And uh, sometimes uh, they will charge ahead with that in the absence of that type of evaluation. And the results, frankly, usually are not very good because uh, not only may the skills not be there, but it's possible that the motivation's not there either. And as you know, from being a business owner, it takes uh, a lot of 24 seven thought and effort to keep that going. So I think a, a clear eyed evaluation of the next generation is really important. On the other end of the spectrum, we've seen situations where in the multi-generational business, there are uh, successors there that are eminently qualified, but uh, the owner believes that nobody can do it like him or her. And so there's a real reticence to do it. Um, so I think on both ends of the equation that clear right evaluation is necessary. I think another thing that's important is having a clear understanding, first of all, having a good financial advisor and having a clear understanding of what the goals are with uh, the succession of the business. Uh, can the goals be achieved with uh, passing the business to the next generation? Uh, and if not, what needs to be done in order to get the business in shape to uh, hopefully sell it for the type of uh, financial outcome that in working with the financial advisor is deemed to be uh, advantageous or appropriate for the business and for the family. So I think it's kind of a combination of the things that you can't close your eyes to uh, the talent behind you either from a positive or negative perspective. And I think it's also important to really have that uh, financial analysis of what it's going to take. I have over the years seen a number of instances where a business owner will need to say, I get need to get X million dollars for this business without really an assessment of what the business is worth and why somebody would pay that, but just that that's the number in their mind that they believe they need to get. So 
you know, some, some real thought and preparation in that whole process, whether it's going to the family or going outside, I think is crucial. I remember when I was passing the business down to Julie to take over the baton to run the business. And in terms of all of the, the things I didn't want to do anymore, you know, right. I love meeting with clients and um, I love the planning and focusing on the client, but not all of the administrative side. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking when she started to make decisions and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, um, this is really much harder than I thought because no one wants anyone to change their baby's clothes. You know, I started that business with zero and built it and you fall in love with your children. And, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's very hard to let go. And I have seen that in my own clients who have businesses. How do you help a business owner to trust and let go? Because if they don't, you know, they'll never be able to pass that business on. And then they're, if they don't do that, they're not there to mentor the person taking over your business while you're alive. And if you wait till you're dead, it's way too late. <laughs> you know, I think that one of the most <laughs> important things that an advisor can do for a client, whether it's uh, you or me or the CPA, is to be honest with them. Uh, because, you know, we all are trained that it's important to have good relationships with your clients and the customer is always right and all of that. But the things that you mentioned are things that I've seen a lot. And it's really important that somebody in the mix is telling the client, wait a minute, <laughs> you've got to back off. And if you don't back off, this is doomed for failure. Uh, and it's really important to let your successor run this business. Uh, I, I've no, known of many situations where uh, I, I think of one in particular, a manufacturing business where um, the son was purportedly running the business, but the, the patriarch was on the floor of that manufacturing firm every day. And if somebody didn't get the answer they wanted from the son, they would go to the dad and, you know, it's, it's, it, and it did not turn out well. And it's, it, it's really important to, uh, work with advisors that earn your trust. And it's really important for those advisors to be brutally honest with you on things like that, that we've all learned from our experience from working with business owners. I know too, we do, um, and I know that you do this as well. We sit down with the family who are in the business and we include the ones that aren't in the business. So if there is a lot of um, animosity and a lot of children not feeling fair or, um, all of those issues that so often the business owner, and I think of a husband and wife right now that they know that there's going to be a war when they pass away and they just don't want to deal with it. And they say, well, they, they could deal with it. When, but then all the work that you've done all along is negated. And we have sat down and talked to everyone to see how do they want to participate. And in one particular um, situation, it just came out because it erupted and the kids just said, dad, we're going to sell the business. Mm -hmm. And, and the dad was shocked. He said, but I've worked all this, you know, why don't I sell it now? And they said, you can sell it now. But he was under the impression and never gave them an opportunity to have a voice to tell them how they really felt. And it just, because of that meeting, it opened up an opportunity for them to all feel safe together. He would right. go after each one by one. And when, right. the, when the kids all got together, they had 
an opportunity to really be honest and truthful with how they felt about the business. And none of them felt confident enough to actually run it. And I think in the end, we discovered that they didn't want to take the risk of losing what the father had so put his blood mm -hmm. and sweat into. Well, that's pretty insightful. You know, I've seen that situation also. And I think sometimes, particularly when it's uh, a, pl a closely held business that is, involves family members, I think it's really easy for the patriarch and matriarch to be making assumptions yes. about this. This is our family's business. It's going to continue to be our family's business. And um, without that type of transparency and frank conversation that you've talked about, I've seen some bad results that come out of that because you put the children in the place where they don't have the interest or they don't have the confidence or just don't have the skills and it's not a good result. So, you know, again, a point to that need to be frank and open with the clients and try to encourage that type of uh, family conversation and family dynamics can be, you know, so complicated. It's interesting enough when you have partners that are not family members, <laughs> but when the partners are family members and you've got all sorts of things that we as advisors don't have a handle on that might've gone on in that dynamic. So it's very challenging, but having open conversation and being, being frank about what's going on and what the desires are, are really important. I have two friends right now that are both attorneys and they have phenomenal businesses and they have two children in their family that are attorneys and they are not interested in their law, what they're practicing. And my friend keeps saying, how can they not be interested? This is a whole book of business that I've been working with right. these people. And it has taken them both a while to sit back and to be able to just let go of their dream recognizing yeah. that their dream isn't their children's dream. And it, and you know, for so many of us, it boiled down to building this business and the security, but children are different now too. They're looking more for experiences and they're mm -hmm. watching their family, their parents work like crazy to get where they are. And they don't necessarily want the same things. You know, it's funny because you see when our kids were young, you see that on the soccer fields or the basketball court where it's the parents dream that the kid's going to be the next division one <laughs> athlete and the, and the kid just doesn't is wants to have fun but just doesn't have that same interest but I think that that um, that does carry on and the the dreams of the parents don't necessarily get instilled into the children and the dreams are different and uh, that doesn't mean that the the next generation is wrong it's just different and having an appreciation for that rather than trying to force a square peg into a round hole is really a good idea. My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung and we are gonna take a break. And I know Jim, we're gonna talk a little bit about if you are considering selling a business, what does that look like? How do you prepare to do that? We've talked a little bit about it emotionally, but you know, there's a lot of things that you have to do to uh, make that business attractive where somebody actually wants to buy it for whatever reason for them. And then in our last segment, we're going to really talk about what happens next. What does it look like when all of a sudden you sell your business and there you are, you're sitting with a boatload of cash that you've never really had before. And it's like, whoa, you know, um, I've been dumping my money into my business to grow my business. And now I have this cash. And what's the impact on me? What's the impact on my marriage? If you're married, what's the impact on your children? And with that, we'll be right back. 
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And if you would like to know more, see a couple pictures, see our offices, go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Jim DeYoung, and he is with O'Neill Holman DeYoung. Oh, Miss Cannon in there again, and Lang. And if you would like to reach out to him, to, if you have some questions, if we've stimulated any thoughts for you today, you can do that at 414-291-4731. You can also give me a call. We're pals and we can get together and be part of a team for you that will really help you look at all of these different issues that we face when we are selling, thinking about selling a business or preparing to sell our business, which is what we really wanna talk about in this segment is, what are the things that you really need to do to prepare yourself? And I remember, Jim, when I was looking at, what am I gonna do? Am I going to retire? Am I gonna sell the business? And um, Julie stepped up and of course said that she wanted to run the business. And I remember the attorney that I was talking to at that time, and I talked to several said, you know, Karen, you've got to make some changes because you're the one out there that is the bird dog that's finding the business and you're turning it over to your advisors. You're not really forcing your advisors to find the business. And it never even occurred to me that that was it because I was so good at doing that. And I couldn't do all the business. I'd say, well, here, Julie, you take this client and Diane, you take that client. And so I had to really shift my thinking. And he said something to me, every decision you make, make it with the idea that you're going to sell your business. You may not be doing it, but build your business every single day as if you were going to. And I have always kept that in the back of my head. But mm -hmm. so many of us are so busy wearing so many hats. We're just doing business. Uh, what, what would it be called? We're working in the business, not on the business. Right. So how, how do you help clients to get to that point of preparing to sell? You know, I think that um, the first thing that it's important to understand is if you believe you want to sell the business, it's not a spur of the moment decision. Um, I think you, you need to first think about what your goals are. And I mentioned earlier that I really do think it's important for uh, a client to have a financial advisor that can talk about where they're at financially and what the financial goals are. Uh, the next thing that I think is really critically important is for the business owner to make sure that they have their business house in order and that they know their uh, understand and know their financials. Because one thing that will blow up a deal really quickly in early stages is if there's messy financials. You know, if if you've been doing financials internally using QuickBooks and then if it doesn't balance at the end of the month, so what? You, you know, it's it's it, it's not a winning formula to not have solid financial statements, preferably prepared by by a CPA, maybe even audited. Uh, because the things that are going to drive uh, the higher prices in a business are things like um, increasing uh, revenues and profits, uh, current on taxes and debt payments, uh, current on receivables, uh, and all of those things are really going to be crucial. So I think making sure the financial house is in order and that they have so solid financials. Can you sell a business that is poorly performing? Maybe. Uh, what should your expectations be of what the price is going to be? It's certainly not going to be what it's, 
it would be if the business was was strong financially and showing the type of traits I talked about before. Um, they need to do some internal due diligence on on the legal things. Do they have clear title on all their assets? Uh, do they have if they lease properties are the property are the leases transferable? Um, there isn't pending litigation or a bunch of employee uh, claims against the business. Uh, their licenses are up to date. All of those things are going to be important and are going to be uncovered in due diligence. So I think it's important, you know, for the business owner to understand what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And if there are weaknesses to uh, develop a plan to address them. Uh, and if they can't be fully addressed during the sales cycle, being candid and open about what those vulnerabilities are, because I can assure you that in a buyer due diligence, they're going to uncover those. And it's much better for the owner to have the feeling on those, that, to have the a handle on those and to be discussing them than to have a buyer raise it for the first time. And, you know, you mentioned um, not changing a baby's clothes and you know, business owner likes to think that their business has any warts on it, but they all do. <laughs> and, you know, recognizing what those are, no business is perfect. So I think being open and candid about that. Um, and for most business owners, a sale of a business is gonna be a once in a lifetime uh, transaction and it's a big deal. So I, it really is important to have uh, a team in place. We're a big believer in having uh, a strong team. We don't we don't do everything in the sale transaction uh, business. I think it's important to have a strong CPA slash tax advisor. We have tax people too. To have a financial advisor and uh, experienced M and A transaction lawyer is important. Um, because there's a lot of things that come up in deals and I know you've seen a lot of them also. It's not like, uh, you know, selling a car or even selling a house. There's, there's a lot involved and uh, being able to work through those issues with somebody that's been there before is important. I think, um, you know, really paying attention also to what the, the business operations are uh, and the organization, do they do, you, uh, do they have organized, well-trained staff? Do they have well-documented operations and uh, systems? Uh, another thing that's often important, particularly if the uh, seller, as they often are, are interested in getting out of the business or only being around for some limited period of time on a consulting basis, is that their key employees uh, making sure that those key employees have uh, some type of agreements that uh, are, are assignable. Um, distinct products, proprietary if possible is important. You know, another thing I think that's really important and sometimes gets, gets overlooked is if an owner's thinking about selling a business, it's really important to keep that close to the to the chest, because if you start talking about it with your employees and with others and word gets out, that can lead to a lot of um, uh, a lot of concern and a lot of anxiety. And so when you when they go to a advisor or a potential buyer uh, approaches them, I think non-disclosure agreements to give comfort to the fact that it's going to be kept confidential because uh, in most businesses, and I'm sure you've seen this too, it's really important 
to not lose fo focus on the business by focusing so much on the deal. And I think if you start to focus on the deal and you lose the focus on the business, um, that's not going to be a good result. And if you get the rumor mill running, oh, we're for sale, uh, we should be looking for employment somewhere else, uh, what's going to happen? So keeping it close to the to the vest is really important. And in working down the, uh, uh, the list of the things that happen, uh, one of the things that'll happen always in a, the sale of a business is a letter of intent. And I think it's really important at the letter of intent stage, uh, even though it's primarily a non-binding agreement to address the things that are really important in the letter of, to the owner in the letter of intent, uh, things that, that uh, might be a little bit more detailed than you might ordinarily think would be in there. But uh, that preparation on the front end really helps uh, achieve a much better outcome in the long run. So uh, those are the things that I, that I think are really important. Jim, I'm curious about this. If uh, a person is selling the business, they've gotten to that point of um, kind of culling down who they're interested in, um, selling it to, do they come and tour the business? And is that an important factor as to what they see? Do they base anything on, you know, how are the employees happy? Are, are the air, the place clean? Is it, I mean, I know when I go into a restaurant, if the bathroom's dirty, I don't want to eat there. You know, I just figure if they can't keep that area clean, but how important is the actual physical business itself? I think it's important. I think it's important if you're looking to maximize what the return on the sale of business is going to be. We just finished a transaction um, where the buy, this is a manufacturing firm where the buyers are very concerned about um, some of the inventory that was around that uh, it seemed to be really old and obsolete and not well organized. Um, so I, I think, you know, you get, you only get, uh, one chance to make a first impression. So I think having that house in order doesn't just include the financial things and the legal things. I also think it really does uh, impact it, come down to those things that impact other people. You're right, when you walk into a business and it appears clean and well-organized, you leave that place with a much different impression than if it looks like it's a mess. And I think it's the same thing that, um, that happens with businesses. Now you can have a really organized business and if the financial results are horrible, that's not gonna get you over the finish line to a great result. But if you're looking at things that are gonna maximize return, that's another detail. Uh, and I think one of the things I like business owners to focus on is things they have control over rather than things that they're just concerned about that they don't have control over. And certainly how your business presents itself is something that the business owner has control over. So that should not be neglected. You know, Jim, um, we're going to take a break really quickly, but I, I just want to ask you also, so often when a business owner is thinking about selling, they've had this business for a long time and their employees become family. And there's always that fear, what's going to happen to my employees? And are there ways that you can put in place um, things that will protect the employee for periods of time or how does it, maybe we should take the break and then touch okay. on that. Um, what are the things, how do they think about that? You know, 
I don't want to, I don't, I, these are my families. I've known this family, my workers, since they've had little kids. And now I've even got one of their kids working for me, those types of things. And with that, we'll take a break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung. And if he has, um, actually, you can tell how well versed he is in doing this type of planning and how many businesses he's worked with. And he's come up against so many different um, options and opportunities and hurdles that people have to face. And that's really the kind of person that you want as part of your team. If there are some things that you would like to ask him, please feel free to give him a call at 414-291-4731. Big question. This is my family. This is my baby. And if I leave, what will happen to my employees? That is a really big question. Um, that is a pretty typical thing that we hear from owners of closely held businesses. Uh, many of them have employees that have been with them for decades and they really do think about them as family. Um, that is a good thing. It can also have some impacts on how buyers look at businesses because sometimes the family motivation may override whether somebody is being compensated fairly or overcompensated with being uh, evaluated <laughs> properly. Um, you know, I think that the concern with how the employees are going to be treated is even um, more of a focus if the buyer is going to be a private equity buyer. And private equity buyers um, have a lot of money and they're very active in the market and they're always looking for businesses to buy. Um, and it's tough because during the courtship period, the owners always hear, well, we're buying this business not to change it. We're buying it because we like the management. We like how it's run, blah, blah, blah. But then I've seen too many situations where a short time after the closing, it doesn't play out that way. So when there's a private equity buyer, one of the things that I always tell clients is I think the best thing they can do is ask the private equity buyer for uh, references from other companies they bought to find out how things, how things happened after the marriage. Uh, <laughs> did they treat the employees? Did they make dramatic changes as everything changed. Uh, having said that, I think whenever you sell your business and you recognize somebody else is going to have the risk capital in place there, you need to be open to the fact that there are going to be some changes there. Um, you know, with key employees, I mentioned before that uh, if there are really key employees thinking about having some type of uh, stay pay agreements in place so you know that they will uh, stay on after the, the transaction and remain a part of the business. There's things like that that can be done. If you're working with a strategic buyer within the industry that's doing an add-on acquisition, I think the same sort of thing goes as I mentioned with private equity and that is trying to get a feel for how things have worked in the, in, in the company that's doing the acquiring. So um, <clears throat> There's no way to get 100% certainty on that, recognizing that once you don't own it anymore, you don't own it anymore. Um, and it can go either way, but there are, are some things you can do to try to do due diligence on how the buyer will be post-closing. 
That's really good advice. One of the things that we wanted to talk about yet is what, what happens next. And what I have found with so many of my clients that have businesses, have sold their businesses, is that they had a certain lifestyle and they did enjoy owning a business and having different things like they could um, write off their cars or, you know, a variety mm -hmm. of different things. But in the end, all of a sudden they sell and they've got millions of dollars and their lifestyle isn't going to really change. They're not all of a sudden going to become big spenders. And, right. um, and, and they'll, look at, they'll look at me and they have all this money and they'll go, I mean, it's almost fearful, you know, because they, yeah. they and so what, what can you just, we have five or six minutes to talk about what happens next. And um, they worry about the next generation and having too much money. And they have this opportunity now to, maybe do the things that they want to do or to be more philanthropic? I mean, how do you help someone navigate too much money all at once, this big pot of money that shows up? Yeah, you know, we've seen that work both ways. We've seen um, th the situation that, that you have talked about happens pretty frequently where there is not a, an appreciation for what that kind of money can do for you. On lesser occasions, we've seen the situation where uh, somebody gets uh, what would be considered to be a lot of money. They aren't working with a financial planner and suddenly that money disappears, sort of like a lottery winner. Um, you know, I think the best thing that uh, an owner can do, particularly if I would say the typical business owners, like what you said, where they live a certain life, lifestyle, everything goes back into the business. I think it's important for them to, uh, be working with a financial planner. I think it's important for them to sit down and come up with a solid estate plan through the use of trusts and other things to take care of. Uh, oftentimes they, they feel that the children have been really pretty well taken care of. They want to make sure that the grandchildren and future generations have uh, opportunities and are taken care of. And a lot of times they've never really thought about what they might be able to do philanthropically that they have organizations that they're interested in and charities that they're interested in. And, and you know, getting them to just take a step back and um, realizing that um, this money is not going to go away. They have plenty of money to live on. And just within their own plan and with their own view of their life, what they want to do with it. So I think some careful thought and planning, starting, I think, even pre-sale, uh, and then post-sale. I'm sure you see that a lot. Yeah, and I think the key is helping your clients to get into relationship with their money and to right. not be afraid of it and to understand what is enough is enough and how does it look down the road and, and looking at some projections to give them the um, comfort that they can spend, that they can do mm -hmm. things and they can maybe do things that they didn't dream of being able right. to do um, to really make a difference in the world as well as to make a difference in their family. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that I would encourage people is to sit down as a family and work with an advisor because what one of the things I know for myself, the last thing I want is my children to inherit money that's going to hurt them. Yes. I, I want them to be good fiduciaries. And that's important to have the great team because when you pass away, your kids are going to think you've got the greatest team. And do you have that team that's going to be able to help your children? Um, so part of your legacy is the people that you pass on, but also taking that time to sit down and explain to them what your goals are with this money. 
and mm -hmm. they may not follow it, but at least they know because children, when they inherit money, they're often very much afraid of it as well. Right. Yeah, that's very true. So it's a, uh, it's a big, it, it, it is, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but yet the outcome of knowing that your family's in a good place to deal with this amount of money, you're, you're in a good place um, and your spouse is taken care of. So we don't really have too much time to spend it, but I would also say an important piece is make sure your estate plan is in place and work with your attorney on this sale and make sure that mm -hmm. everything is in place and it is the way you want it, review it and um, get a good team. Get a good yep, team in I, place. I agree, I agree with that 100%. My guest today is Jim DeYoung and he is with the law firm O'Neill, Cannon, Holman, DeYoung and Lang. If you would like to give him a call, 414-291-4731. And Jim, thank you so much for um, being here today and sharing with us your expertise. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye.